Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Today, I'm here with the co-founder and CEO of Vicaria Surgical, Adam Sachs. How are you today? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm excited for us to chat. Uh, love the background, by the way, for anyone who's watching the video also. Got the nice uh, Vicaria Surgical logo and then uh, some nice imagery. Love it. Um, yeah, you, you move, as you move back in your chair to show up more, love it. Uh, I, I'd love for us to kick things off. These are usually pretty quick, right? So if you could tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk more about basically the why, how, what of Vicaria Surgical. So you know, my, my background, I'm a, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. You know, I focus on biomedical engineering and robotics. Uh, I, I went to MIT, same place. Uh, it's where I met my co-founder. It's uh, very much the cliche college roommate story. And the two of us uh, both worked at Apple for a little while before founding this company. Uh, we, we pretty quickly realized, though, that you know, our, our passion is medical devices and uh, started this company with our third co-founder, Dr. Barry Green. Interesting. Met, met at MIT. Okay. You, you have the traditional, uh, the, the blueprint of, of basically how the, the best companies start, right? They, they meet in college and, um, but, but you finished, did you, you finish, uh, you finished all four years though, right? Yeah. So you, you, you went one step further, uh, by actually <laughs> finishing and not the, not dropping out. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I'm really excited for us to chat today. I think it'd be great if you could talk you know, about our core focus today, the company, uh, a little bit about focus on three things, why, how, what, uh, and I'll let you, you can describe it in whatever order you want, but I know the audience will be interested in hearing that. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, why I think is, is, uh, really, really all comes down to the background of how surgery is performed. So surgery has been performed in largely the same way for, for a long time. Uh, open surgery is the original way of performing procedures. And with an open surgery, the surgeon will take you know, a scalpel and quite literally open up the patient. Uh, the surgeon's then able to use their own hands to operate. They can see with their own eyes. But unfortunately, for most procedures, most of the injury to the patient comes from the incision itself, not from the work done on the organs. Actually, almost 20% complication rates just from that incision. So that's what minimally invasive surgery is all about, existing surgical robots that make three to five incisions, insert long, slender instruments through those incisions. And through, uh, through the, the three to five incisions, they're able to perform procedures in a way that causes a lot less injury to the patient, but vastly increases complexity for the surgeon who can no longer see naturally, uh, has very limited motion capability. And, and with legacy robots, all, all the primary motion actually pivots about the incision site, which means that, that the surgeon actually defines the kinematic profile of the robot for every procedure. So th there are some attempts at single port robots, but most of them are built on flexible robotic technology, which just have this impossible to solve set of challenges of being both, you know, ironically, uh, not sufficiently flexible uh, with very little motion capability, very low forces and require large incisions, the, the smallest single port technology on the, on the market currently is uh, 2.5 centimeter incision size, which has 8.4% complication rates uh, as compared to about 1% for 12 millimeter incisions. So, you know, it's, we're, we're really starting to get back up to our, toward open surgery again. So that, that's really the why, you know, it's uh, uh, all, of, all of these challenges have led us to perform 
mostly open surgery today. It's still the majority of procedures are done with open technique. Uh, and you know, we, we really believe that the huge value in surgical robotics is in, in driving uh, more adoption of, of great quality and minimally invasive care uh, for, for patients and, and for surgeons. Uh, so when, when we started this project, uh, you know, we've been working on this full-time for seven years, part-time far, far longer. We, we pretty quickly realized that there was no technology that existed that was able to achieve what we wanted from a robotic actuator level. Flexible robots are, uh, they, they, they're, you know, too flexible, uh, uh, sorry, too low forces, but, but actually not sufficiently flexible. And rigid robots have something called coupled motion. Uh, that's that's a, what the rigid robots are, are the technology behind most legacy systems on the market today. And uh, with coupled motion, you know, if, if you can see here, it's, you know, when, when you move one joint, the other joints also move and you end up needing to do complex coordinated motion of all of the control cables in order to produce movement at just one joint. Uh, and it's a problem that you can solve in software, but the problem that that's impossible to solve with coupled motion is that you also end up with an exponential buildup of force joint by joint as you go through the arms. That's why legacy systems have just three joints, just a wrist on a stick, need one millimeter diameter steel control cables. Our system has half millimeter diameter polymer cables uh, that, that enable nine joints, nine degrees of freedom, wrists, elbows, and shoulders, giving surgeons this incredible level of dexterity that's just uh, you know, uh, unprecedented today. It, Adam, you just covered, uh, which is great. You led into what my next question is gonna be, and we don't need to go into as much detail because you already provided some great insights into this, but I was going to ask, really, what are, what are some of the be benefits of robotic surgery? So you, you tied in, which is great, benefits of what uh, Vicarious Surgical is doing. Um, if it, I don't know if there's any more that you want to add to that, just based on just the, the general scope as well of robotic surgery. Um, but then a quick follow-up question that you can kind of, uh, you know, go off of is uh, also, how do you think of robotic surgery will play a role in the future of healthcare as we look forward to, let's say the next five, 10 years? So, you know, what, what we're really doing is focused on taking all of these limitations of existing robotic surgery and, and really resolving all of them. I mean, our, our, our goal is to create a system that's, you know, not, not just lower cost and not just more portable and not just easier to set up and not just, you know, e easier to train on. It's actually all of those things, plus has a number of additional advantages. Um, and we, we really believe that focusing on providing significant benefit to all of the patient, to the surgeon, to the hospital, and to the payer is what, what, what allows you to get past this couple percent adoption of robotics. We're at about 3.2% of addressable procedures being performed with surgical robots today uh, and after over two decades on the market. So we, we really believe by focusing on all of these things together with a technology that actually solves all of the problems, we'll be able to have you know, significantly more adoption. And uh, that, that's, you know, that, that's what, what we're excited about. I think when it comes to sort of specific advantages, it's really about providing you know, a clinical benefit for the patient and for the payer, right? Because you know, reduced uh, to take hernia repair, our, our beachhead procedure, uh, reduced recurrence of the hernia is, is money saved to the payer and pain and suffering uh, reduced for the patient. 
and then making those procedures uh, be able to be done in significantly less time so that the surgeons and hospitals can actually fit additional procedures per shift is additional revenue for the hospital. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of hospitals are you know, maybe not for profit, but they still need to make money in order to, to keep the lights on and be able to keep uh, achieving their mission and treating patients. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's where these hospitals make their revenue from. And and obviously, um, you you could probably comment even more on this. COVID, for many of these hospitals, they, they definitely saw a decline in those surgical procedures and had to postpone a lot of those procedures to later in the year to this year, right? And we're still, I think, many, many healthcare facilities are still behind. Um, I, I think what's, what's interesting is, um, is we're going to see a lot of, we're going to see some catch up now, but we're also going to see these uh, additional procedures start to happen right now that we're, we're not fully out of the pandemic. It's still very much uh, here, but um, I, I still think we're probably in a better position in, as far as surgery goes, right? Procedures than we were last year. Is that fair to say, or do you see something different? You know, I'd say that's similar to what we've been seeing, but you know, it's at the end of the day, I'd defer to the hospitals to kind of answer that in more detail. They're, they're the ones who are, you know, really have their thumb on the pulse of, of the, uh, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, volume of elective surgical procedures and the impact of COVID. I mean, we certainly do know that, though, that there it was a trend of, you know, pausing elective procedures for a while and then a buildup of, of caseload and then seeing some of that uh, uh, actually being performed in particularly busy facilities. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm with you too. Like I definitely have my own thoughts of where I think everything's at, but at the end of the day, um, I will leave it to the, the hospitals to, to, <laughs> to say how busy they are. Right. I'm not going to speak for them either. Uh, well, I, something I do want to cover too, is you have some exciting news, right? You're, you're going public and I think it's in the next two weeks, right? Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll be going public uh, on uh, Friday, September 17th. That's next Friday. Uh, that'll be the closing of the merger. The shareholder vote is two days before that, so September 15th. And uh, we're, I mean, we're incredibly excited about this. It's just, uh, you know, just over one week away at this point. Uh, you know, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a long road and we still have a lot of work to do, but we're really excited about, you know, a number of things about this transaction, not, not just the capital and, and access to the public markets, but importantly, kind of the visibility and communication that this lets us have. We've been in stealth mode for, for most of the seven years that we've been doing this. And uh, frankly, it's been really fun over the last few months to be able to have conversations like this, be able to share what we're doing with the world, be able to engage with surgeons and hospitals and you know, get their feedback, get their thoughts, get uh, uh, re really show everybody what we're doing. And you're, doing, you're going public through, uh, I think it's important to note, right, through a SPAC? Yeah, so it'll, it'll be a SPAC merger with uh, D8 Holdings. Uh, they're uh, uh, a firm with a ton of financial expertise. And frankly, we're really excited about the expertise they bring. We, we bring kind of the medical device experience to the table and they're bringing public markets financial expertise. So uh, it's, it's gonna be a, a really great partnership going forward. They're also, they're based in Hong Kong and they're, they're already using a ton of their connections to help us, uh, to help us build out you know, the details of, uh, of how we enter into the, uh, the Asian markets, specifically mainland China. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, what you've built has global 
global reach, right? So that's, it's super helpful, I think, to have a, a financial partner like that, that will also help you get into those uh, foreign markets, um, especially one as big as uh, the Hong Kong market. Well, one thing I want to just kind of uh, ask before we wrap things up, Adam, is after going public, what's what's next for the company through your lens? So we're growing at a uh, pretty incredible clip right now, hiring like crazy uh, and uh, building out kind of the, the final details of the product, the manufacturing facility, some early partnerships with hospitals uh, and surgeons to get all the feedback and all of the details. Uh, that we need and, and regulatory engagement. So we, we have an, a lot of work over the next two years. So we file for uh, FDA clearance. And uh, over those next two years, you know, we're really excited to be, frankly, to be a public company and be able to not, not only execute on our plan, but also share all of the updates and the exciting news, uh, you know, with, with the world. Well, we wish you all the best of luck on, uh, on going public and the continued success with the company. And hopefully we can have you on again real soon. And we can talk about some of the other things that, uh, that, you're, that you're working on and some new updates with Vicarious Surgical. So thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the next one. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.